0: This is a Wild Age Production Podcast. You remember. Roll your stealth roll? Game books, pencils, pizza, cheese puffs, and a hell a lot of dice. And the dragon woke up. Roll for initiative. This is the Roll for Initiative Podcast, where 1E is the place to be.
1: The role for initiative podcast, volume number six, issue one ninety two. I am deemed Vince City alongside Matt. Hello, everyone. Nick. Hello, everybody. And crispy. How's it? This is there nothing. How's it? That's how you yeah, start. Yeah, how's it? How's, how's it? it? How's, how's it? it? Is that like a uh, Las Vegas thing or no?
2: It's a. Uh, I think Australian actually.
1: Is it? Yeah. Crikey. You didn't learn that on Friday, Friday Night Magic Nights, or something. Or?
2: I did. Yeah, I played against an Australian guy. Right. We okay. apologize to our Australian listeners.
1: <laughs> Great. Another issue for HR to get us hit us up about.
0: Great. Yeah.
1: So anyway, uh, what's been going on with you, Crispy? Because you know, we're like, no, actually, Nick, uh, Matt was in here last week, so Matt, you have to explain your absence.
3: Yes. Well, explain yourself. I quickly. last weekend under a car. Um, reattaching the muffler to my wife's car because she decided uh it'd be a great idea when driving home from work on a rainy night, uh run over a tree that fell in the road. I don't know. so yeah, her I don't entire think she Yeah. But and yeah. her car failed her save and the muffler decided to drop entirely, so the only thing that was holding it onto the said car, car the was save. the uh attachment from the uh engine to the exhaust system. So yeah, spent the day reattaching that. So, yeah, that that's pretty much been the extent of it. And as for gaming-wise, not yeah, it's been kind of a dead period for me. Um, I will be going to a arcade expo next weekend with a bunch of old-school arcade games. But, yeah, again, not tabletop, so I've been kind of deprived. And that's what's mm-hmm. been on with me.
1: Oh, poor baby. Yeah. And, uh, Crispy, you just got back from a nice long hurrah weekend with one of your friends.
2: Yeah, um, uh, Tim, uh, co-host of uh, Critical Wits, is uh, is moving to Portland, so he's moving out of uh, out of the state to uh, the Pacific Northwest. So we kind of spent a lot of the weekend, you know, hanging out and, and doing some things. Uh, last night we just played just old video games the whole time, and then you know Friday I uh, we we did some some stuff and i uh managed to make it out to magic which was a good time i also uh if anyone on the west coast is going if you're a magic player if you're going to gp vegas uh i'm going to be there as well so hopefully we'll get some reps in
1: awesome so if you'd like to meet the great crispy slash trask the player uh go ahead and uh, say hello to him
3: are you playing in the main event or the side events i'm playing in the modern main event oh maybe you'll yeah. get a feature match at which point you have to do it in trask voice
2: <laughs> well, yes. they don't really mic you up on those feature matches anymore. Well, if they do Aww. a deck tech, if you get... Uh Yeah, I guess I could, but yes. I'm, I'm just playing Green White Elves. Oh, okay, so, like, yeah. yeah, not a lot. It's a pretty deck deck. established deck. Uh, yeah, I
1: can't turn on ESPN Ocho and see. And Crispy flips over the deck and taps it twice. Oh, my God, that's a miracle move that
2: Crispy <laughs> just pulled off. I've been, I've watching, been watching a lot of old Pro Tour coverage from the 90s, and like they used to mic up the players so you could hear yeah. them like banter back and forth. Pro yeah. Tour stuff, they don't do that anymore. It's all commentators. right? I think it's it's a worse choice to do it that yeah, way. Yeah,
3: there was some, especially if you find some of the old ones, the really old stuff, some of the stuff going on was insane with the... Uh, Oh God! There was one with Mike Long where he was like the biggest heel in the world of Magic: The Gathering because he would rules lawyer and kind of quasi cheat.
2: Yeah, no, Mike Long is a character. I guess he does investment now. You guys (laughs) uh, remember on YouTube a few months ago when there was that like Ty, I don't Ty Lopez, where he's like, "Just here in my garage, yeah, looking at this new Lambo." But you know what's more important than fast cars? Knowledge. Uh, he did like a like uh, Mike Long, I guess, is uh, an investor in uh, California who like that guy. Stuff.
1: That yeah, that
4: guy who I that see guy. on YouTube all the time for his little advertisements. Yeah. But you know how I yeah. joked I made I was going to make people millionaires at or at least six figures. That guy.
2: Yeah, where he's like, uh, I was oh living in my, my in my van God. in a trailer yeah. park with forty two <laughs> dollars in my bank. In account.
4: a van down by the river.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Long did a video, a couple, of a couple. videos with him, but uh, oh, that guy God. was a character. I, I like watching old videos, but yeah, he's he's definitely like the Jesse Ventura of uh, of magic in the nineties, right? right. I, I, yeah,
1: the nineties are now old videos now. Yeah, that's sad. It that is sad. <laughs> it is. Anyway, Nick stars.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: we. Uh, We're not going to ask Nick what head- he did. No, we don't care what Nick was doing. No,
2: well, Sorry, Nick. I, I I'm just kidding. I
1: just because of that, I'm going to tell you what I've
4: been doing. You know what I've been doing? Nothing. No. Moving yeah. on. Uh, <laughs> um, well, yeah, really not a whole lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of, the February was kind of a wash for our Star Wars, Star Wars game. Some other stuff came up, but we're going to get back to it in March. We're still going to try to hunt down uh, insane Jar Jar Binks, who has oh. a torpedo sphere. And going through the yeah, going through the uh, galaxy because it's our fault.
2: <laughs> is he like actual evil Charger Binks, or is he just like a, a a? Are they Gungans? I think who is he's evil? just
4: now he's just now nuts because he was in captivity for X amount of years, and when he was in captivity on Kessel, he went insane. And it's our fault that he's loose.
2: We're we're really sorry. Yeah, he's like, Misa will show them all. Misa will get Misa revenge. Uh, pretty pretty much. much. Yeah. Now we uh,
1: owe Disney a trademark now.
2: Thanks. Crispy.
1: Oh. Well, what do you
2: got to do? I think it's I think, transformative enough content that we won't get hit with any kind of copyright. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: I'm sure
4: HR is get I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> On the other campaign, though, like the Castle Greyhawk one, the last one we did was, I think it was, yeah, back in January, uh, the the group learned that in Cobalt Society, if you caused a problem and you're, it's your fault, you're automatically the chief of that tribe. So, okay. So, Cobalt's cobalt. not exactly the sharpest tools in the shed, but that's just how they work. That's Cobalt Society. Oh, his fault? Oh, him, chief. <laughs> so, other than that, that's pretty much it. been been going on. But, cool. um, yeah, starred reviews. You did ask about that? Yes, sir. And we do have a new starred review. And just to remind everybody, you can go to iTunes and look up Roll for Initiative in the store. Track us down from there. Not only can you give us starred reviews, but you can um, look up previous shows and listen to them off of iTunes. But, um here we have a new one from Dandrobium. I believe I, I hope I pronounce his name right. And he says, Nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. And give us five stars. Uh, and he says, When I started gaming, old school was just gaming. This podcast does a great job reminding me of the great old days when I had time to game every weekend or three times a week in college. The hosts are imaginative and creative. Thanks. Well, you're welcome. So hopefully we get you maybe gaming again if you haven't started up. So well, thanks for the review, and uh, keep them coming, folks.
1: Yes, the more you put up there, the more Nick will read in different and various voices and try to yes, invent yes. new ones along the way.
4: Yes, yeah, so I refrained. I just used my real voice on this one.
2: So, that was Blackstone's voice. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Wait, I've had Blackstone... Nick, are you secretly Blackstone? No, impossible, yeah, I've never Blackstone. seen the two of you at the same place at the same time, so
4: well, like mm, some, I'm a little skeptical. Some people say that about Satan and Santa too <laughs> yeah. both were red and black we'd never seen together Name no, I'm pretty sure.
2: The I'm pretty sure there was a movie I saw on mst s t three k where Satan was defeated by Santa.
1: No, yes, I think you're, a you're Santa Claus right. the Martians, maybe or maybe.
4: No, there was another one. It was a Mexican movie with Santa. Oh. Trying to Tri- defeat Satan. Oh, oh, oh my, gosh. my gosh. Now that you bring it up, Crispy, if I may bring this up to everybody.
2: So MST three K coming back March fourteenth on Netflix. Oh stole Thunder.
4: <laughs> no, you didn't because it's April 14th, you dork. Is it oh. April?
1: Yeah. They originally announced it as March, but they moved it up. April
4: fourteenth. Oh yeah, mark it on your calendars, people. Aren't you were a backer, right, Nick? Yes, I was. I was a backer on the Kickstarter campaign, which was hilarious when they did the live uh, podcast of the uh, Kickstarter show with Patton Oswalt reading random tweets.
1: <laughs> didn't you get any? Like, I thought you guys were getting shows ahead of time because you were backer.
4: Yes. Yeah. I got some. Got some of of the uh, part of. The where how much you uh contributed,
0: mm-hmm.
4: one of the things you we got were some older unreleased MST3K episodes from like their KTMA sh- days back in the late 80s. Hmm. Uh, got a couple wow. of t shirts right now. I'm gonna be getting my poster with it signed by everybody on the cast and crew, even Joel, even Joel, even sleepy if- eye Joel.
1: I wonder if they got Mike to sign it too.
4: I don't know, I think it's mostly from the new cast and crew. Did they but I do, anyone? I do know that uh, 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 Mike, yeah, Nelson, and the rest of the original cast—they are more than welcome to come on to the new show. Uh, Joel's said that several times that you know you guys want to come on and you know you know collaborate on some things. you will know, come on as guests or, or whatever. By all means, do so. So. And well. I understand, that's that's pretty much an open invitation to him. So <laughs> I know Rift Tracks has been doing great, so I, I don't think Mike's going to really ever abandon that entirely. So
1: Did they get uh, Trace to do anything at all, or is he still out on the out?
4: Yeah, I kind of get the idea he's, uh, if anything, at least on the fence about it, him and, Fr- and Frank Coniff.
0: Mm-hmm. But
4: who knows? You know, things might change. I, I hope so. So, but I, I'm really excited about it. I mean, you got a lot of good people. I think that are they're coming on cast and, and writers that are going to be coming on. Like, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, gosh, who did uh, the show Community? Was one of the writers for it, Dan Harmon. Oh, Dan Harmon, thank you
2: oh, for Harman another Watch. funny show,
4: Harmon Quest. If you haven't watched it yet, mm-hmm. but. Um, Yeah, Dan Harmon also did Rick and Morty. You got uh, one of the former writers from Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld might be on the show as a guest. Neil Patrick Harris Mm -hmm. might be coming on. Mark Hamill, too. They all Mm -hmm. expressed interest coming on as
1: special guests. The show just went up in level because NPH is on. Yeah. Yeah. That and Mark Hamill. I mean, come on. I I don't care about Mark Hamill. NPH is the man. Neil Patrick Harris? Yes, he's the man. He likes Heineken though.
2: A lot. (laughs) I think he likes Heineken because Heineken pays him to like Heineken.
1: Oh,
4: is that how it works? Okay. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, MST three K, April 14th, on Netflix, folks. Hmm. Uh put it in your calendars. And hopefully uh after the first season we'll see what happens because the whole first season was, you know. Well, okay. crowdfunding we'll see after that. Net Netflix will pick up for another season and pay for it. We'll see.
1: Are they considering oh, this season one or eleven? Because I have it written down as eleven on all the apps that I'm yeah, it's
4: season eleven. It's technically okay. a continuation, but it's you got a new guy up there with uh with uh, Crow and uh and Tom Servo.
2: Yeah, Jonah Ray. Jonah uh, Ray very, very funny. Yeah. Have, uh Baron Vaughn, who I think is playing Crow? No, yep. Baron Vaughn's playing Tom Servo. Also Tom Serbius, hilarious. Right. Um, and I don't remember who's playing Crow, but yeah, they're all like really fantastic. Yeah. New
4: and the new uh, the new mad
2: scientist, Kinga Forrester. <laughs> Dr. Clayton Forrester's daughter. As played by uh, everyone's favorite internet lady. Felicia Day. Felicia Day. <laughs> I wouldn't say everybody's, but- and,
1: and Pat Nozler as but... the
4: son of TV Frank, Stevie's Frank. <laughs> yeah.
1: Did they ever give a premise how they got the new guy up there and how Mike disappeared? No. I uh,
4: don't know anything about that yet. All right. Still kind of a mystery, which I kind of like.
1: So we'll soon, we'll soon find out. All right. Well, we'll be back after this for our first segment.
0: If AD&D is number one, have we got a podcast for you? On the Roll for Initiative podcast, DMs Vince, Nick, and Matt. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and DM that. Hello, everyone. Check out all things related to the game that Gary built. This is basically
4: the module trying to get you to fight things when you shouldn't. Yeah. It's they basically taunt
0: you. They're being playful. Yeah. They're being playful. Yeah. They feature old and new modules, supplements, musings on rules, advice on DMing a game, and occasionally feature new writers and classic creators of all things one
3: And think of it this way: number appearing two to twelve. Twelve demigods hanging out together?
1: Yes, but the green man has nothing underneath him as a classification.
0: Zero.
3: No.
1: Nothing. Just he's got a growth and abundance. We don't need to put down any other classification at all. We'll just give it to the mud man.
0: That's the Roll for Initiative podcast. You can find it on iTunes or at RFIPodcast.com. typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with table manners. And what are you kidding me? I
4: spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. All right, all right, folks. We're going to get into table manners here and we're going to review a book that we've uh we've kind of uh missed uh we missed on our our journey here on RFI surprisingly oh. enough, The Fiend Folio. So, There's some, I don't know, it's, I don't know if it's nearly as divided as some people are as about unearth Arcana, but there's, there's some strong feelings about this book. I, I, I kind of get through, through gamers throughout the years. I, I personally like the book. I think it's interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not, you know, there are, there are some kind of weird and odd things about it, but I think that's what kind of makes it, um, makes it fun because it is weird, a little odd, so... I, I think I, a little
1: hate it because of the weirdness of the monster. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a childish monster.
4: Yeah, there was some people that kind of, I, I guess, looked at it that way as somewhat childish, not nearly as serious as it's supposed to be. But there are some seriously, you know, pretty, deep, if I could say, badass monsters in here, <gasps> you know?
2: We'll have to bleep. I'm sorry. Nicholas! Uh yeah, for me I think this is uh this is my favorite monster book ever written. It used to not mm-hmm. be. Uh and actually it's it's a RFI that uh turned me onto it. Like I've owned a copy of the Fiend Folio forever. And I just kind of wrote it off for a little bit. I was like, yeah, this is weird. Like I guess the GIF Yankee are, are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but you know, just listening to you guys talk uh, over episodes and episodes, it made me revisit and I was like, oh no, this is great. This is Prague Rock the Monster Book.
4: Pretty much because who gave us Prague Rock? But not but the but the English, but the yeah.
2: British.
1: The one so. thing I like when we always reference this book is when we reference the crypt thing. Crispy jumps to yeah,
2: skeletal <laughs> skeletor voice. I universe. have a I have a list that I wrote as I was prepping for the show of all of my favorite monsters, and next to the crypt thing, I just wrote <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> could we um, get a uh, like a picture of that so we could post it with the show notes? Be <laughs> so awesome people could see that. Yes, I'll text I'll it text to you. It yes, please. All right. All right.
4: Well, to kind of give the history on this book, the Fiend Folio, it was actually it came out in eighty one, but it was originally supposed to come out, I think, uh, sometime in seventy nine. So it was originally intended to be the like the monster manual too, but there was some, I guess you want to call it dispute between, um, between what was going on with who was producing the fiend folio and with TSR in the United States. Uh, Don Turnbull, who was basically the editor of the book. He was, um, he he was over there in the UK and the majority of these monsters were out of the fiend factory that was in the, the publication white dwarf who everybody knows was part of, uh, Games Workshop. There was a Game Workshop publication. But Games Workshop had a very close working relationship with TSR. TSR set up, I believe it was sometime in the late 80s, 77, 78, might have been er- even earlier than that. Uh, Games Workshop had distribution rights in the UK for TSR products, namely D&D and AD&D, right? So they thought to build up an even better relationship was to um, let's 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 make the next monster manual for, for AD and D um, and in fact, coming into some of the research on this guys, mm-hmm. I did not know this, but one of the things that they were working on along with the fiend folio is there was going to be a merger. They were trying to get a merger, at least Gary said in an interview, uh, they get a merger between TSR and Games Workshop. I had no idea that was going on. That kind of blew my mind. Uh, yeah. And and Gary, from what I've read in this interview, and I will post the link here on this interview with Gary Gygax in our in our notes, um, how he was pushing really hard to try to get this uh, merger between TSR Hobbies and Games Workshop going. Well, there was some sort of, well, it's with all the things that were going on in the early 80s, kind of nixed that idea. Apparently, the Blooms were not on, on board with that at all to try to do the merger, reasons unknown. Which uh, you... Yeah, but it just seemed like um, anything that Gary wanted to do, it seemed like the Bloom brothers like vetoed it almost every time. It was it like... Was like If you ever seen them, if you seen the the recent uh, uh, kind of semi biographical autobiographical movie, The Founder, about Ray Kroc and McDonald's and him and the McDonald's brothers, it was kind of like that. Ray Kroc was trying to get all this stuff done, but the McDonald's brothers were just vetoing it. But similar thing was going on here, so that was putting some bad blood going into the whole relationship between I between Gary and I guess. Don Turnbull and and the Fiend Folio kind of got uh, caught up in this whole mess. So instead of the merger, TSR said, "Okay, why don't we just make our own division?" So TSR UK Limited came up in 1980, and Don Turnbull became a, if I remember correctly, Don Turnbull and TSR UK was the managing director there in TSR UK for, for, for a time.
1: yeah.
4: And with all this stuff going on with the potential merger, TSR UK starting up, delays ended up happening with the Fiend Folio Tone. And that's why it was it was delayed for approximately two years. So, so that's kind of the background on it. And I guess even some of the fill-in, some of the stuff that they felt like was was lacking in the book, they took a lot of the the module uh, monsters that were previously published, like the Kuo-Toa, the Drow, and they drew them in here as well. And then, hence, you got the Fiend Folio Tome. And that's a little bit of the history about it. But I had no idea that Games Workshops and TSR Hobbies were at one time trying to merge. Imagine if that actually happened, how things would have changed. You know, just just kind of just kind of interesting if you think about it. You know, a little bit of a what if. Probably would have not not had any Warhammer fantasy roleplay.
1: Well, they probably, all that material would have went all channeled into Advanced Dungeons and Dragons at the time.
4: Yeah, you know, what would have happened with like Warhammer 40K? Would that ever come about? Never know.
3: Probably not. I mean, because at that point, everything. Because at the time, TSR would be more focused on. They're role playing games, and you, you might have got some board games. I mean, we did get like Hero yeah. Quest, which is basically Warhammer Quest and some other things along those lines. But as for the big giant tactical miniatures game, nah, I don't see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I,
4: I just think it would have really changed the whole tone of the industry if both those uh, companies would have merged. Now, when the book came out, there was not too long after it was released, a review of it in Dragon Magazine. Issue number 55. And I think some of you you guys uh, on the show have looked it up. Yeah. There was a review done by Ed Greenwood. Ed did not like the book. In no uncertain terms.
1: <laughs> what a surprise.
4: You know, just put it like, for example... Uh, I give it out of here uh what do you say uh, for example, there are many incomplete and inqued- inadequate monster entries uh, why are the languages of the dark creeper and the Babbler incomprehensible many weird creatures in the monster may not have languages usable by other creatures through study of magic dm should be told why these two are special and Phrases like, mysteries so far unexplained are not good enough. It In an official rule book, complete listing should be required. Uh, and, and so on and so on. Like, uh, he just, that, he really, really uh, lambasted this book.
2: I think that's antithetical to, like, the concept of D&D, where you're adventurers going into lost ruins where no one knows what's inside in search of treasure. I, right. I, I, well, unexplained things have to be a part of the world because then you get to make up the explanation. Right. Not in that Greenwich world.
3: Special. He's the type of guy that will actually specify the type of stitch pattern on a middle commoner's robe. Right. So he's into the hyper detail. And yeah, he's I, really in the detail, detail, detail. As and everything really in the world being... Making right. sense, at fitting with each other ecology-wise, and everything fits perfectly into the world and has a reason. Whereas this book is not meant for one specific universe. It's meant for a multitude of things, and I doubt there's any one universe where all these creatures actually exist. But for yeah. Ed Greenwood, for this that this book did not suck. They would have to all <coughs> exist in the same world. Probably call, begins with the letters F and R. Yeah. So... Just saying, well, here's
4: like some of the other things he said in his review where he talks about some, uh, what he thinks are contradictory or not entirely covered in the rules when he says, and I quote, first and foremost, contradictions are in attention to existing official AD and D rules. Careful editing should have prevented these mistakes, such as the mention of raised dead fooling. In the description of the Pernicon and the anti-paladin in the listing of for Gith Yankee. Minor quibbles? Not in the careful international tournament standard. Consistency of the AD game is to be maintained. Gary Gygax speaks of this as one of the reasons for creating the game in the first place. And official ADD books such as the Fiend Folio Tome should contribute to the sought-after consistency.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember that uh <laughs> God, this was really a mar on you know the 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 protor competitive D and D scene. Yeah, yeah, still has a strong presence today.
4: Which funny in where I grew up, that didn't really exist because nobody really cared. Everybody had their own
3: homebrew version of AD and D. They always tweaked it out. I'm there now was no way. yeah, I'm now imagining tournament play D and D. If it was this type of tournament play was going on now, streaming live on Twitch, and you have your parties. Like yeah. your, your famous parties of like, oh, no, this is like the all-star party. These are great players. And the commentators are going, oh, what will they do with this trap?
2: Now, uh, is has uh, put himself, he's uh, done a five-foot shift here in between both <laughs> goblins. It looks like he's setting up to go for a cleave attack. Uh, he's going to have to roll at least a 17 on this to succeed. No, no, I and think he's going to do here a, it. Comes.
4: I think he's going to do uh, 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 he's going to enact one of his feats. I'm not sure no. which one
1: it is. Yeah, and I can he, he does fake. have
2: access to, I can to see raid the same
1: things like, uh, like, oh my God! Do you believe the DM did that? That isn't part of the rule set. What's going oh on? God. Oh no! He must be making no. things up on his own. We got to call <laughs> the judges over. We <laughs> want a
3: judges'
2: ruling. They're and the is, is going for the die roll, and an eighteen! Oh my God! He's done it! Oh my Chris God! Unprecedented in the realm of role
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, crispy. Settle down.
4: <laughs> All right. Ed also goes on in his little uh, tirade, if you want to call it that, that basically so, some of the monsters' names great on the mind's ear, quote, unquote.
2: Oh um, You're going to have to bleep me here, uh, but beep. <laughs> Never mind. I won't, I won't say it. it. Uh, he also
4: said it? the second large problem found in the folio has to do with two races. There's too many of them. He also hated the Lava Children because he thought that they looked like the picture looked like a version of Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine.
2: Yeah, Aww. I've never read this article, and I've always thought that.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, true. He didn't like the big uh,
2: buff hillbilly Alfred E. Newman.
4: Yeah, I, he pretty much didn't like the whole thing. He, he he thought some of the illustrations were pretty good. He thought some of the names even were like un- unimaginative, like Gorilla Bear. Wait a minute. You're quibbling about names that are being too complicated. Now you're being quibbling about names that are not complicated or interesting at all. Pick one.
1: Uh, some of the art is pretty bad, and some of it's really yeah, good. Yeah. It's just like every role playing Right. Some things are good, some things are bad. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean,
4: and there was a there was a middle-of-the-road kind of review by this fellow by the name of Alan, Alan Zomal in the same issue, and then there was a rebuttal by, given by Don Turnbull himself which I believe, man, or Crispy, you you said. It's like, you know, and Don Turnbull said this, and no, not so many words, but yeah, part of the fun things about the game is that there's some mystery. So yeah, some things are unknown. So what? That's a matter of personal taste, I guess. So yeah, he's, he gave a pretty good rebuttal too. So I, if you can track down the issue number 55, I highly recommend and read the, uh, All three reviews on on the um, Fiend Folio, and it kind of reflects how so most people today feel about it. You know, (laughs) some people like really hate it. Some people are in the middle of the road about it. Some people really like it. You know, I guess um, I I guess I'm middle of the road to liking it. So I don't know. Yeah. Why never thought?
1: Wait, wait, before we Nick, why are you middle road on this?
4: I mean, some things are, are really good about it, and some things are just kind of like, really? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I always bring up the flump, for example.
1: Yeah, well, the flump. You know, okay, I've always the- liked this book. This has always been my go-to inspiration for the most wackiest creatures in mm-hmm. my campaign. and Right.
4: So and- I guess, like, let's kind of uh, delve into it then. So absolutely. I guess Vince, since he kind of kicked it off there, you know, what are some of the things about the book that you like? Where's,
1: you know, overall? I would tell you, but I actually dropped the book across the room, so... That's oh, sh- <laughs> I liked it so much, I dropped it. Yeah, I kind of was, like, flipping through it, and it went, boom out it, of my hand. The greatness the is room. just
3: too much to hold. It's...
1: Yes. It was the power of Gygax and the fact that the Edward Ed Greenwood article made it run away.
4: Yeah, I would not be... Yeah. I, I kind of agree. Well,
1: it is on the page of the Kenyu from across the room here, so...
4: <laughs> oh, Kenku?
1: I mean, Kenku, excuse me. Yeah. yeah ticket of oriental you're close yeah close (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah, uh, i think like crispy was saying a lot of the uh creatures in here did come become playable
2: races in the later editions right not not playable races but like like monsters that are part of like the intellectual property of tnt
4: yeah (laughs) they they become staples of the game now some of them have become playable races too well like (laughs) the the one that everybody brings up because i like them too are the gith yankee and the gith zarai yeah they're so cool they are like so the cool. Monster, yeah. You know who made up those monsters along with the Slad out of here? Who, Charles uh, Strauss. Hmm. Charles hmm. Strauss who did the uh, Atrocity Archive books? The uh, so that series of books, right?
3: Well, well, well what's funny USA? with the Gith? Okay. Just on the Gith Yankee, the name's actually from the Dying Light by George R.R. Martin. Oh, no. yeah, yes, yeah. And it's like the Mind flare relationship from the world of Petavs by Larry by Niven. It. So, yes, they own the Githyanki, but they've but it's borrowed Lowering heavily from two other sources of sci-fi.
4: Hmm. I guess that's one of the cool things about like of this book is it. I like the weird edge of it. I think that's like what Vince likes about it too. There's like a weird edge to this book, you know. I, I guess makes it distinctly British in that respect, you know?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I like yeah. it because of the demon aspects. All those little different weird demons they have. Yeah. It gave me inspiration to make my own stuff up from it. And every time I see the mean lock, I keep thinking of more locks for some.
4: <laughs> hmm Well, and but... some of the things like you were saying that became staples of the game, the Aarakocra, That's That became wow. a, a staple monster. Yeah, for, yeah the um, Death
1: Knight. Death Knight's um, right, how many of y'all wanted to be a Death Knight when you were a kid? playing? Oh, I hell. definitely did.
4: Bullywugs yeah. were became a staple. Hell, the, the Bullywugs were became part of the D and D cartoon
2: show. Yeah. They ran into uh, those a lot. Right, the Flind. You know, like the that Flint. became a big thing with uh with gnolls. Yep. Yeah,
4: and then there's Matt's favorite, the crypt thing.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Come on, Crispy.
1: Come on. Yeah. Dude. it?
2: Do it. You, know you want it? <laughs> like um, I have to get a laugh out. Uh <clears throat>
0: <Yeah. laughs> Here
1: you go. Crispy does not perform well under pressure apparently. No, he does not.
2: Welcome, adventurers. <laughs> to your nightmare. He-Man. <laughs> Beast Man.
4: You well, well you, had, you finally had an introduction of the drow that was put in here. Um,
1: oh, that what, word, uh, drow. Over the years, I wanted to beat people over the head, drow. It's drow. That I know. You know. That and tifling and tiefling, I wanted well, to beat people over the head with. Well, the I it was the
3: drow actually first appeared in G3, not mm-hmm. the fiend yeah, Right, but... I was just about to bring that up. Only if you had G3 was it really, you know... Not everybody had the module, right? You know? And really, I the drow this... didn't become a thing until a certain novel. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, just, there's another. You know, yeah, and
2: it's great because it's like a, I believe the is this a Jeff D illustration for the drow?
4: Um,
2: tell you in a second.
4: Uh, no, Willingham.
2: Willingham. Okay, uh, but this like this drow, it it has a very like Jeff D quality oh. to it. This yeah, is. It does. This is the the iconic picture to me, you know, mm-hmm. like, like uh, that very very black skin, not just like a weird purple brown that we've right. kind of gone to now. Um and the uh, the all white eyes. That's this there's something yeah. about them that makes them extremely monstrous yes. which I I love. This is the well, iconic picture for that.
4: I love that picture because it also shows how just the evilness of the race that they are the, the drow and I guess also the ties they have with spiders. Cause if you look at him, he's kind of lanky kind of gangly. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, ref- I think that's kind of reflected in the, uh, the artwork. Uh, what else became like, my- well, the Kuo
2: became like my- darklings, which I think, I think that's what they're called now. What is the actual name in this book here? Uh, the dark, dark creeper. Yeah. And, and the Dark yeah. Adepts, those are uh, you'll see them they'll be a more like Monster Manual 2 kind of monster, but uh yeah, they're uh, they're a staple now. Um I'm trying to think there's some there's other some things other. in here that definitely I, I always the
4: hook horror. The hook horror, here you go. Here's
2: there's
1: another a lot one of stuff in book that never made it to later editions at perfect to translate. Yeah. Yeah. Those players
2: that memorize the books and you throw something mm-hmm. new. At them. Uh DM Corey's favorite monster, the Grell.
4: Yeah. Yeah, those are nasty. Those <laughs> are nasty.
2: I love the description because I was like reading through this today, prepping for uh, for the show, and I always think yeah. the the grell are huge. They're yeah, they're five feet in diameter. Mm-hmm. If and I, I love saw them. that in a game, I would I would poop myself.
4: And and if anything on that page next to it, that full page picture of the grell mm-hmm. fight uh, with the fighter in its clutches and everything, that whole picture is such. It, that's such iconic b and d to me you know that just that just kind of says it all for me there I love this picture of that it's just very well done and if you look really closely you see another fiendfolio monster in the corner anybody get that you see Which, that in the corner in the lower right hand corner with the the big picture of the grill with the with the warrior yeah, what is that? That is a uh, Snyad.
1: Bless you. Bless you. Here, here.
4: Thank you. Yeah, on page eighty three. That's a that's a picture of a SNIAD. A little oh, SNIAD genre. around the corner. Yeah. I didn't see that till like years later. I'm like huh. I never noticed that. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of monsters in here that became iconic ones. For D&D Yeah, and the Slad, know, the Nef- Swerf Nefblin. Oh my god, yeah. Um or they become DM favorites, like you're saying the Grell. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites, the Son of Caius. Mm-hmm. Love Son of Caius.
2: My hey. favorite is uh this actually does have also my favorite monster, uh the Carbuncle. The Carbuncle. Just yeah, yeah, the Carbocle... A armadillo, dillo, it's a weird armadillo thing. with a gem in its head that can will itself to die.
4: <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's yeah, such a definitely.
2: weird monster. We talked about it on my show, where, like, a carbuncle shows up, and it's got a gem that's, that, you know, it's worth $5,000. And they're like, oh, I'll, I'll steal the gem. And it goes, uh, nah. The nah. Carbocle, uh goes, mm, and then it dies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, and it's... Hmm. it's a lot of the monsters in this book are just kind of set up to just mess really? with your players, your problem players. Like, yeah. the carbuncle is only there to stir up trouble. Like or it uses... the... Okay. Or,
1: or
4: another one that is, like, really made the mess with players, the disenchanter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the... I, could, I could tell you that the crypt thing really pisses off people from later editions. Yes, it
2: does. Yes. Uh one thing that I, I it's a monster I never think I ever took note of until today, but the gold bug yeah. uh, only exists to mess with players. It it's the exact same shape as a piece of gold. Pick mm-hmm. it get up, it disturbs its sleep. It loves to sleep in gold, and then yeah. it bites you, and you have to save versus poison or die. And
4: one of the things that Ed Greenwood brought up in his his uh critique of the book was yeah, he didn't like all the monsters that are like the, the Goldbug or the Disenchanter, which are specifically made to, you know, mess with the player characters. But, you know. Yeah, but
2: like the Rust Monster exists. Why is that exactly.
4: okay? Right. Yeah. It's a fr- yeah, the Rust Monster. What ecological niche does that really hold?
2: Yeah. You know? <laughs> and that that is a thing that I thought of with the gold bug where it's like what? Wh- why would this possibly adapt to be like that but it's like no this is just to mess with your player who like it's like I'm going to get every gold piece and mm-hmm. then they waste a bunch of time you know just clearing out the uh, the caverns mm-hmm. uh, another one I love is the Aliax um, and I just wrote down a quote this will teach Darren to be a jerk <laughs> where it's the, spir- the spirit of God's vengeance Oh,
4: the the Aliax. Yes, yeah.
2: yes, 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 yes.
4: But, um, yeah, there's a lot of monsters in here that have become favorites of DMs over the year for one reason or another. Uh, one that's really weird that, besides all the other weird ones in the book, is the Nilbog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Nilbog is that monster which is really made to mess with Player characters, because this is a creature that looks like every other goblin in the world. But if you attack it, it gets healed. And for some reason, unexplicable reason, player characters just do random things when Nilbogs are around. I just, I, I just love this this creature. Have I ever used it? No, I don't know if I ever would. But it's, yeah. it's, it's just weird, interesting, and um, I mean, like some of the, well, I guess just the overall i thought uniqueness of the book it was it's very very creative i thought yeah i, mean, I still think yeah it's there's extremely a lot of stuff in here that
2: instead of just being kind of western like folklore and myth uh mythological creatures you really uh you get a lot of like just weird out there monsters that you know like the denzelian yeah. Uh which is just like a I guess like a a land pearl or a land uh, oyster. I I it's it's a very weird it just looks like a rock. It eats rocks, it doesn't yeah. like to eat metal, and it'll will <laughs> it'll me. you know, pop out some eggs that just look like pebbles.
1: hmm It's
2: like why does this thing exist? But also why does it have such a detailed ecological description?
3: hmm Well, you have to remember a lot of these first appeared in a magazine, White Door. Mm-hmm. Right. So in that fiend factory uh section, yeah. Right, that's why a lot of it doesn't have cohesion with each other because they were just magazine articles thrown into right. a book together with some new creations and a few things stolen from some modules to make a book. So I so mean, it's not going to have that internal consistency, but that also sure. gives it that Different feel and how you can find something you're looking for in this book, and I think that's what makes it so great because it it is that random miscellany uh a fiend yeah. folio if you would compared to yeah. like your monster manual
2: <laughs> with the denzelian though like a, a a thing that I thought of reading, oh, this is really weird, but that whole bit about them avoiding metal is like, oh like oh, a clan plan. of dwarves could have. A pet, like a pet Denzelion or, or you know, a herd of Denzelian, that they just take through their mines and they eat out and they'll avoid any metal deposits. So now they can find their mithril ore or their silver ore.
4: And you bring so something that, to it. Right. And it sounds like it's really up to DM to flesh that out, mm-hmm. you know, which is a good thing. Yeah. And I and that's one of the things that's enjoyable about this book. Yeah, something should remain a mystery and for the DM to design uh to to design to create. You know, the guy who created that monster, if you look back in the index uh of all the people who contributed, uh his name's Lewis Pulsipper Pulsifer. Mm-hmm. I mean, for all we know, Good old Lewis here. This is the only thing he's ever contributed to anything, and this is his claim to fame. Yeah, From, his he, name actually, is now immortalized in this book. <laughs> you know, because it gives yeah. everybody who contributed. Yeah. Uh, and, well, he well, he also, also gave us
3: it, the, the elemental cap.
2: princes of
4: yeah, Shoot. and the elemental princes of
2: evil. Yeah, wait, which cat? The the editor cap. Oh, Ethercap. I thought you yeah. were talking about the uh the hoard cat or treasure cat or whatever it is yeah. that like guards a treasure chest and literally has nine actual lives. Oh, yes. oh yeah, the guarding game. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then but, yeah, uh, well, uh another one of my favorite monsters from this if he if he made the elemental princess uh princes rather is a uh, There's a a really good something awful uh um series of articles called WGF D&D. And uh, they talk about this book, and uh, they, they nicked him, nicknamed him Ogermock, King of the Evil Attackers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that
4: was Lou's uh, contribution, the Elemental Princes of Evil. Hmm. But, I mean, that's, it. I mean, for all we know, he probably didn't do anything else in the gaming industry. But you know what? His name's in this book now, associated with several monsters in the Fiend Folio. I mean, here's another one. He only goes by the name of Underworld Oracle, and he came up with the Enveloper.
3: <laughs> I love the Enveloper.
4: Yeah, and the Gibberling. But he goes by the name Underworld Oracle in the book. Look it up in the index.
2: <laughs> oh, the Mephit is from this? I must have missed uh, that earlier. That's that's a staple, the Mephit, like uh, Mephit familiar for your evil wizard? I thought it was pronounced Mefit. Uh, it may be. I mean, I don't you know. know, it's probably some ancient Hebrew word that, like, you know, none of us, it hasn't been used since the year 3000 much BC. Sugar.
1: Oh, boy. We here at WGPN do blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> Insert HR quote here. But
4: I'm none just trying order. to figure out why the guy didn't go by his real name and went by Underworld Oracle.
2: I don't know. Maybe he maybe he didn't want his name immortalized because he was like ashamed well, of his D&D. Well,
3: actually, he is, has a PhD in military history military and diplomatic history from Duke. He designed many diplomacy variants, was a editor, contributing editor to Dragon, White Dwarf, and Space Gamer, and a columnist for Ima- Imagine. How uh, did you find all this? He has a Wikipedia article. Shut up. What? Really? Yes! What's what? awesome? He, he published what may be the first science fiction and fantasy gaming magazine, Supernova. What? He designed, what? Uh, uh, let's see, Dragon Rage, Dragon Rage, Valley of the Four Winds, and Sword and Wizardry in the 80s, so not the hit he, he, Britannia, the game? He did that. He created that. He received the Charles S. Roberts Award nomination for best pre-World War II board game for Britannia. What? Where? What? Um, he taught college-level computing, web development, and game design in North Carolina, and he's. Already,
4: where is this Wikipedia article I, you speak of? I
3: will put it I, in the in the chat. I'm blown
4: away by this. Oh, where did we go? Underworld Oracle, you you did yeah, like a lot of stuff. Where did I go? Holy, oh, it's oh
2: Matt That's earned his really, gold pieces this week. Lewis. Oh, this is Lewis Pulsifer. Okay,
4: yeah. So he also went by the moniker of Underworld Oracle.
3: It's, oh, let's see here. Because there's Lewis Pulpiser.
4: Okay. But there's also a guy by the name of Underworld
1: oh. Oracle. Matt just got his money taken away.
3: Yes, I did. I, no, I, 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 I went down the Lewis Pulser rat hole. Ah, <laughs> uh, you, you you okay, so we still don't know who Underworld Oracle is. <laughs> well Underworld no, Underworld Oracle was a fanzine. <laughs>
2: Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, edited by Lou <laughs> Nisbet and Phil Alexander. Oh, so that's the name
4: of a publication. I thought it was like an alias for somebody. You know, that's what he went by. You know, a real, real weird gamer dude. He's like,
1: you can call me Underworld Oracle. <laughs> that just sounds creepy.
4: Yeah. Well, he's also the guy who probably, you know, every character he makes has to be some Multi class with a freaking ninja. Not that I have ever seen that before, but just saying, <laughs>
2: ninja is not like a good class. To mo- like it's okay, I guess. I don't
4: but. want. <laughs> I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> just, just
2: be a rogue, honestly. <laughs> what is anyway. this
4: rogue you speak of, crispy? Yes, Sorry. what is this uh, rogue you
2: speak of? Thief. Thank
4: you, thank you, thank
2: you.
1: <laughs> crispy. But, you, you know, know
4: it, there's. Morris. I think uh, just overall, I I really enjoy the book. Yeah, there are some things that you kind of like go, huh? But most of it, I find just it, it goes with always thought of D and D. There's weird and unusual things, and it, you you're creative with it, and and it's not all tucked into one nice little you know package. You right. know,
3: right? It's like I crack this book open far more than say the Monster Manual too yeah oh yeah by far me too yeah absolutely
2: when i uh moved off to college and fifth edition come out and like we found a game that fits for all of our our group and uh yeah i i got rid of a lot of like i got rid of all my pathfinder stuff i got rid of all my 3.5 stuff i got rid of all my just every old book basically for and uh, this is the one book that i kept this in like swords and wizardry <laughs> yeah.
3: mm. i was
2: like this is all i need i'm good for me- now
4: i've from time to time, I've actually, and I might not be the only person who's thought of this, try oh. to design an adventure or at least a dungeon level with just fiend folio monsters.
2: Not that I hot. thought of a campaign where, because uh, uh, the Death Knight originally, like, I was reading this, I don't think this is ever translated over to future editions, but there's only 12 Death Knights. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and so, like, you could have a whole campaign about, like, the Death Knights have awoken, and they're, like, taking over different kingdoms, mm-hmm. and then just throughout you have to, you know, defeat the Death Knights.
4: That is a really good angle. <laughs> so I mean, you know, what else for you, like like Vince? You've been kinda of quiet. We've been just jibber jabbering along, but what else about the fiend folio that you like that really drew you to it as as one of your I I guess a staple book in your game?
1: It's mostly because of the wackiness of it, the fact that I can take things and borrow from it to add to my own creatures that I create for the wacky game.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get a lot. Get, a, I, get
1: I have two I, copies of this book, uh, Nick. One is a pristine copy with its bright blue coloring, and I also have another copy that's worn to crap, and it has the cover is now a light blue.
2: Oh yeah, wow! So you use mine's it a, a lot light blue as well.
1: Yeah, and, it, I could probably if I could grab a picture of it to show it probably wouldn't yeah. show up. But yeah, it's just it's you can tell like one light ocean blue, and then the other one is just like this bright blue. Brand yeah. new Mine's actually in mine pretty green. good shape. Same thing with my Deities and Demigod book. One of them is uh, that nice bright blue <laughs> color, and then the other one is like this purplish color.
2: Yeah. I remember, I remember the, the, the first time I found a second copy of The Fiend Folio at like a game store that was in much better condition than mine. and I was like, wow, I didn't know this book was supposed to be that blue.
4: Yeah. Uh, well, I remember, I, I have to say, my original copy that I bought years ago, it was stolen. Oh. And then I had to buy it years later. Mm. Yeah, I had an original copy of Fiendfolio and it was stolen. But you mentioned about the cover events. Yeah. The interesting thing about another about this book is when what was it, 1983, when TSR did their revamping of the covers, this is mm-hmm. the only one that didn't get revamped. They let it just go um, out of publication. Yeah, this never got the orange spine.
2: Yeah, but
3: I think this is wasn't their association with uh, what would now be White Dwarf over that pretty much what the culmination
4: of it. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, because said what by that time in 83 there. Yeah, whatever they had collaborations with Games Workshop and White Dwarf was pretty much gone by the wayside. And TSR just, when they did the revamping of the covers, Fiendfolio never got revamped. And whatever they um, they published initially from Random House, the initial run, that was it. Yeah,
3: because it was also by in 1983 that Warhammer Fantasy Battles was created. So that's, yes. by then, by, Games Workshop was yeah, a competitor. By then their
4: relationship was done. I yeah. Mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, you already had TSR UK was already around for a couple of years, at least. So, yeah, that, that was kind of like the the swan song, if you will, for Fiendfolio. The Flump so, song.
2: So ah. this only had one printing? Is that is my understanding that?
4: Far as I know, yes. Okay. There was no I, other reprintings.
2: I think this book suffers from the same, like, air quote problem as Art Arcana, where they just printed it to hell. And you can still find copies of this for yeah. Super cheap. Like I mean, they bucks. did
4: print a boatload of these, but they only had, as far as I know, they only had one print run. But in that print run, they they did a lot of them. Uh, but they, they didn't suffer the thing with Unearthed Arcana's, depending on when you got your copy, how long it held up. Mm-hmm. Mine <laughs> this, still this, holds this up. Yeah, my folio actually is pretty good shape. Yeah. So... You know, other than that, yeah, it's the only one that didn't get the orange binding, the orange spine redo.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
4: yeah, by that time, I would, I would guess by 1985, you, uh, if not sooner, the Fiendfolio, you probably didn't see it, like, on shelves anymore as far as being sold. And if it was... You know, it was probably used copies, you know. Everything that was out there was already out there. So, a little bit of the back history on that, too, as far as, you know, not getting the cover. So,
1: So are we rating this book?
4: Oh, gosh. Yeah. I guess so.
1: Yeah.
4: It starts off with the ratings the number of swords.
1: Five five swords. Five swords as well from me. Yeah. Five
4: swords from me. Solid five swords. Five swords. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: All in your high. face,
4: Ed Greenwood.
1: Yeah, Ed <laughs>
4: Greenwood.
1: If that's your real name. <laughs> why wouldn't it be? I don't know. <laughs>
2: it's actually Ed Bluewood. You had to change it because people, uh, you know, they're like, Bluewood, that doesn't make any I, sense.
4: I do recommend everybody, Dragon Issue number 55, if they could find that, if they have it in their copies or find a PDF of it, read the reviews. On the feed folio, it really gives some insight in the history of the whole of the whole book.
3: And and there actually are two printings of the Fiend folio. Oh, there okay. was yes. Uh, the first printing, uh, the ISBN on the spine lower left corner, lower left corner of the back cover has the ISBN as well as 1981 TSR Hobbies Inc. And the designation TM is used to designate trademark owned by TSR Hobbies.
4: So that's the first print one. The right. second
3: one, ISBN and TSR product number on spine and lower corner of back cover. Copyright info dropped.
1: Ah, you so know what? Now Why that you say that, I'm looking print. at the two books side by side. The Yeah, the numbers on the spine are different as far as the formatting. Yeah. yeah.
3: Huh. yeah. Mine's a first, ad- first printing of it.
4: Yeah, mine's a first print run too.
1: I didn't see how this one is the other one actually. Is I wonder if
4: between the two print one runs, I wonder if the the first print run had the darker kind of blue cover than the second.
1: Maybe that's why. That mm-hmm. might be
4: it. That might be a distinction.
1: Yeah. Oh, and that, that just makes the point of looking at my deities and demigods. Uh one has the old TSR logo, one has the newer TSR logo. Yeah. Second one, yeah. as opposed to the third TSR trace one that they started using in second edition going forward. Mm-hmm. Red. That outline Cup TSR that
4: they use. Hey Vince, I I gotta ask you. I guess I'll ask each one of your guys, each everybody here, if you haven't uh, given it already. What's your one favorite monster out of the Fiend Folio? Your go-to oh, one, Vince.
1: My go-to one is any of the demons.
4: Any of the demons. Okay. Any of the
1: demons is my go-to in this book, like the
4: Mezo or Nyka Demon, those types. Mm-hmm. What about you, Crispy?
2: We know my this. favorite is the carbuncle, but the oh, one I would probably use more often would be like, uh, probably the crypt thing or the eye of fear and flame, and flame. flame. yeah, because yeah.
4: they're both related. <laughs> one's the crypt keeper, and the other one's skeletor.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> what about you, Matt? Well, What's your like?
2: Your
3: I, I've always been drawn there? to the Al Mirjar. Oh, the, the Mirage, whatever it's called. The, the, the unicorn jackalope bunny? with a horn? Yes, the, yes it, the blinking, it's basically a like jackalope. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a jackalope. The blinking unicorn bunny. Mm-hmm. And just messing with players with those. Because with yeah, you have about 20 of them coming at a party, and they're blinking in and out and spearing them with the horn, <laughs> it, yeah, you get to basically role-play out Monty Python yeah. and the Holy Grail.
4: Yeah, I... <laughs> I would say you know everybody likes the Gith Yankee and the githzerai, mm-hmm. but I think my go-to monster—I think I say it was Sons of, Sons of Caius. I love the idea, like them, these undead that shoot green uh, worms at you and they burrow into you. Plus, it was there was a name of a late uh, '80s, early '90s metal band. They got their inspiration from the folio—the <laughs> huh. the name of their band, Sons of Caius. <laughs> Look it up. True story. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: uh yeah that's the fiend folio guys yeah so i guess uh give us an email or if i gmail at gmail.com hit us up on facebook.com slash rfi podcast and uh give us your thoughts and your opinions and what your favorite monster is tell us that ed greenwood's article was justified maybe you maybe you agree with ed yeah maybe you do Maybe you just need to go away. Uh, wait, I can't. Say <laughs>
2: <it>. <laughs> and if you're gonna pick up a copy of this book, make sure you get the first edition fiend Folio. not the third edition fiend because that book sucks.
4: Yeah, I have that on my shelf. I bought that for like cheap, I think, at a at a game store.
2: Oh yeah, I'm surprised yeah. you had to pay money for it because that book is worthless.
4: Yeah, I oh. just bought it because eh,
2: <laughs> yeah. it had the words I... fiend Folio.
1: You're like pretty oh, much like the first one. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, you got me. You cannot condone the words and the actions by Professor Crispy. I condone them. HR is going to get it.
4: I know. What are you going to do?
1: Anyway, we'll be right back after that. Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over to the Patreon site, patreon.com slash WGP. That's patreon.com slash WGP and help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right. $1.50 a month goes a long way. Thank you. Well, that's going to wrap up the show this week, folks. I hope everybody enjoyed their time here with us again, once again. And we'll be back next time with another review of something we like. And maybe you won't or you will. Who knows? So... Keep it original, keep it old school. Good night, everybody.
4: Hey, everybody. Good night.
0: See ya. The Roll for Initiative podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions. You can visit us at RFIpodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even call us at 570 865 4210. This podcast was produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. Remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Roll for Initiative.